Hi, and welcome to another episode of Technotopia, a podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. Today on the show, we have Ken Magus. He's an inventor and early internet entrepreneur. This is Technotopia. Technotopia is brought to you by Happy Fun Corp. Happy Fun Corp is a design-driven technology company in Brooklyn, New York, that specializes in building mobile and web applications for startups and Fortune 500 companies. Whether it's a new mobile or web application that will help people experience the internet in a fun new way, or software that will interface with a new piece of top-secret hardware, Happy Fun Corp is always up to the challenge. Big or small, Happy Fun Corp loves building software and loves working with great people. Come build with them. HappyFunCorp.com. Welcome back to Technotopia, the podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. Today on the show, we have Ken Magus. He's an inventor and he's the CTO of secureone.com. Ken, you have been in the tech industry for a number of years. Isn't that right? Yeah, I might even say too many. Uh, <laughs> Why don't you yeah. tell us a little bit about your, uh, about your long and storied career before we jump in? Well... From a pedigree perspective, I graduated high school in 1974 and went to the University of Illinois in Champaign-Urbana, where I was studying computer science. And I've, I've been a lifetime photographer. So my background in tech kind of comes from my experience being at a big uh, state university with tens of thousands of kids learning how to use computers and merging what I know about computer technology with what I also studied, which was art and photography. So that that's kind of my pedigree. Mm -hmm. um, my career pedigree had started with the merging of what I learned in the computer side, the digital side, with photography. And when I got out of college, I started a business in the digital printing business. I guess today you'd call it desktop publishing or something like that. In 1982, in the city of Chicago, servicing ad agencies primarily and graphic designers who needed quick digital copies of storyboards or billboards that they wanted to send to clients. And we had equipment that it's kind of archaic mm -hmm. now, even funny to think about, but we were really 10 years ahead of the curve in being able to take large hand-drawn storyboards and reduce them down to a practical size and then make color copies using, I think I had the second color Xerox machine delivered outside of New York in, in the world. When was, so, when was, when was the color Xerox? Uh, it started in 83, 83. Wow. Yeah. I got, I got my first machine in 83 and it was big. <laughs> it was, it was big. How, how much were, how much were color copies? Cause I remember back in 83, I was, I was, I was lusting after color copies, but how much, how much would, what was the, what was the pricing about around that? So I'm, I'm ashamed to admit this, but we could, we could easily charge $12 for a color copy. <laughs> Stop laughing, John. <laughs> and we could charge as much as 20 if somebody needed it right away. So our service kind of had tiers. It was, if you needed it right away, it was more expensive. And if you could wait, it was a little less expensive. But mm -hmm. I mean, even in quantity, the cheapest price I think we ever sold them for until it became a competitive industry was 10 bucks. Mm -hmm. So it was a good business while it lasted. Yeah, very cool. <laughs> 
So that's uh, so you've been you've been in the industry for for that many years, and but you're also a uh, you're also a thinker, you're an inventor, you're creating things, um, and this is a podcast about the future. So I wanted to talk to you, sure, about where you saw things headed uh, in your industry specifically, and just in general. Um, well, let's start with general. Sure. So I I pose the question to you, and it's sort of a rhetorical question but what is the best predictor of the future mm -hmm. it's sort of it's it's actually the tagline on my email so I, I think the best predictor of the future historically is the past and I, I think a lot of people have been credited with saying that I certainly didn't come up with it but the the dystopian interpretation of that is that we're doomed to be extinct Mm -hmm. because because that's what always happens <laughs> you know i i like to have a more hopeful and positive outlook on on things and um so i i think generically in, in terms of the future i i looked at cnn when cnn was launched you know what year cnn was launched i have no idea now 80 something it was early well i'm gonna i'm gonna google it sure, sure. cnn launch was according to Google in 1980, mm -hmm. June 1st. So yeah, I was right out of college. I graduated in 78. And when CNN was launched, I had this hopeful epiphany that the ability for people all over the world to see how other people all over the world lived would harmonize humanity in a way that it has failed to do so. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So I was really optimistic when Ted Turner launched CNN and he was kind of my hero and I looked at CNN and I thought, wow, that is the thing. And you have to appreciate that I had been working on the internet as early as 74, right? So I, you know, I'm, I'm already working on not the World Wide Web, obviously, but just terminal-based internet, ARPnet kind of text messaging and thinking that that's going to be a way that people will universally communicate. But since it didn't really have a, a graphical interface, it was kind of clunky. And, and then the World Wide Web started to propagate itself, you know, like 10 years later, like in the early 90s. And a lot of that research and development came from my alma mater, the University of Illinois, where the, I guess what you would call the Mozilla browser sure. or Netscape was developed. So I had a very early entry into seeing what that was going to look like. And once I saw the graphical interface applied to the internet, I had like this second, <laughs> this second hopeful epiphany that it would be the internet that would bring, uh, you know, that kind of harmonious humanity thing. And, it, and, and, and I don't see that that's working very well mm -hmm. either. And, you know, I, I find it quite distressful that people can use the internet as easily to, well, just figure out what year CNN launched as they can to download a, a, a video on how to make a bomb or mm -hmm. do some jihadi kind of terrorist act. It's, it's, it's been, that's been kind of disappointing for me. And I, I had hoped it would, it would more level the playing field than it has. So that, that's how I kind of think of it at large. I, I don't mean to sound like I think it's all doom and gloom. Sure. I, I, I just wish that the interconnectedness 
and the easy interconnectedness of all of us would make us as a species more harmonious when it seems to make us more antagonistic. I don't really know what drives that. Maybe but it's is just it, hu- is human it the nature. medium that's going to I mean I don't I would argue that the medium is never going to make us yeah uh, fast friends. I think the med- yeah. I think mediums never yeah. do that. Yeah, I think you're right. And in fact, I posted a a, a meme on LinkedIn the other day, it was a train full of commuters commuting from probably Connecticut into Manhattan mm-hmm. in the 1950s, a bunch of men wearing raincoats and hats reading the newspaper. And the meme was uh, people say that modern technology prevents us from talking to one another. <laughs> Every, everybody's sitting on the train reading the paper. Yeah, it's not no. like it's not like back in the in whatever the the fifties or the seventies or whenever. It's not like everybody was uh, was hanging out and, and chatting. I guess. No, I just I, you know maybe maybe I was just uh, optimistic in a way that I I had no right to be that opening those channels of dialogue would create a more healthy kind of environment rather than the kind of trolling and hate speech. And, you know, I don't know if those things are just the the nature of humans or if those things are, I I guess your point is they have nothing to do with technology. (laughs) I guess so. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, is what, what is the, what is the answer then? If if we can't, if we can't solve our, if we can't solve our personal differences, through a medium that interconnects us instantaneously, uh, globally, that allows you and I to have a 20-minute conversation about the future, po- broadcast it to a couple thousand people, and have them enjoy it. What's What hope is there for us, I guess? Yeah, well, I, I hope they do enjoy it, and I hope they don't come away from it thinking that I, I have a doom and gloom vision. I have a 33-year-old son, and he... Uh, he turned me on to a 15 minute YouTube viral video called humans need not apply. Have mm-hmm. you seen it? I, I recommend it. it. It, I recommend it again, only in the dystopian sense. Okay. It, it's a, it's a, uh, sort of a predictor since we're talking about the future of how automation is going to affect our lives and already is affecting our lives. I mean, especially if you're somebody like a truck driver or an Uber driver, or you do some sort of a repetitive task where inevitably you can see that robotics and perhaps AI, to the extent that I believe in AI, are going to take over a lot of jobs. So then then you have people like Ray Kurzweil who are writing things like Singularity, where he he writes a lot about the ability to, and I'm oversimplifying it, but kind of get our brains in a jar where we essentially, we as a conscience live forever and we have robots that essentially take care of all of our needs. So there, there's kind of like two ways you can slice that, right? That might, you know, from my son's perspective, and he tends to be a real optimist, he, he looks forward to the singularity. Mm-hmm. That's, he gets up in the morning and says, I don't care if you replace my arm with a bike bionic arm. The bionic arm will be better. I don't care if you replace my tooth with a bionic tooth. The tooth will be better. <laughs> and I'm 60 and I'm looking at, you know, my arm hurts and I have a toothache and I hate going to the dentist and I don't mm-hmm. want my arm to fall off. But there's something to be said about, you know, the, 
you, you watch movies and, and television, and there's so much predictive stuff about how bionics and, and AI are going to affect our future. And then those things start to come true. You wonder maybe those science fiction thinkers are pretty prescient. But whether that's going to be a happy ending or, or a dystopian kind of ending, I don't know. Hmm. I, I, I don't know. I think about it all the time. I really do. Why do you think about it? So you're so you're uh, slightly older than most of the folks that come on here. It's it's basically yeah. just because it's my peer group or whatever. But I but I want to I want to you've you've had plenty of experience in the looking at technology uh, in the years when I was just becoming coming into technology. Why do you think why 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 do you think we're heading towards a dystopia? Is it is it crankiness or is there any one thing that we can point to? And I'm, I'm, well, I'm, I'm, I'm dystopian as well. And I try my darndest to do this podcast yeah. to share, share a non-dystopian vision. Yeah. So I don't think that I am dystopian. I think I'm a very hopeful guy. Okay. And I, and I, I get up every day trying to, and I don't do this consciously. It's sort of a subconscious process trying to come up with ideas that do make things more harmonious and do make um, the lives of, the people that work with me and my family's lives and anyone I can touch through my network better, not mm -hmm. worse. So, you know, I, I, it's, I, I, I look, you, you could go see the movie Wally mm -hmm. <laughs> and you could have, you know, that, that has a very dystopian kind of, dis it's what, who made that Pixar? Yep. Pixar. It's, it's, you know, it's kind of a dystopian thing for a Pixar company to make. Right. But it, it has a message of hope at the end, too. So, again, I, it's, it's sort of this combination in my mind of, of Kurzweil's thinking on singularity where, where we as humans can become less dependent on the physical bodies that we occupy and uh, the, 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 what I'll just call the good AI that exists that you know, might have some morality and, and, and might take into account for the fact that the world can be a better place. But it's, it's always, then you get back to this whole debate about science versus religion. And, and so are our moral values founded in religious tenets or are they founded in scientific thought? You know, that's, we're still debating that at the presidential level. Mm -hmm. Hmm. <laughs> there okay. are people, there are people that don't believe in climate change. Sure. So, so what do you think the world looks like in in 20 years? Where where are we? Where's is, where's is your son? Where is uh where where are you? What are you doing? Um well, I, you know, me personally, I I, I so that's I, that's a great question. I, I think I try to hedge. I I'm thinking I'm at the so Kurzweil says if if you're 30 right now, the odds that you'll reach the singularity are very good. Mm -hmm. I'm 60. So I have to work extra hard. I have to I have to crank out thirty extra years of good health. So one of the things that I do, just on a really macro basis, is I try to take care of myself. Mm -hmm. I try to make sure that I'm physically taking care of the the body that's carrying my mind around, so that if there is some sort of a singularity, I can live to see it. Because um, I I think it would be exciting. I I would like to be part of that kind of I. I I, I frequently tell people that are my friends that if you gave me a 60-40 yes-no probability that uh, Google could be implanted in my brain, it doesn't have to be Google, but just some mm -hmm. sort of a knowledge base, 
and 60, I die, 40, I'd live. I'd take those odds. Sure. I'd roll those dice because I, I love to be plugged into the network of information that exists in the world because I want to use it to try to make things better. And so the more of that I have at my fingertips, and I mean that both figuratively and literally, it, it, it would be it would be easier to do some of the things that I do. My, my eyes are getting worse. It's harder for me to read things like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, uh, I, I, 20 years from now, you know, I'm hoping that we have a much closer implementation of all this technology that surrounds us and that we can access it even easier. I mean, it seems to get easier every day, you know, whether, whether people like it or not, Apple's idea of connecting you through the earpiece, which again mimics, I hate to go back to the movies, but the movie Her, where you know that's somewhere in the future and Joaquin Phoenix is walking around with a little visual device, but most of the cues that he gets are in his ear. Yes. That's, that's the kind of connectedness to the, the global database that I think we're headed towards. Sure, sort of ambient information that, that follows us around. Right. And then, but, you know, again, then there's like things like Minority Report where, <laughs> <laughs> where you wind up in jail just for having a thought crime. So I, 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 I'm a positive guy. I like to think that the technology that we work on every day and that your audience is working on every day is going to make life better for people. I think most of the technologists that I know are very positive people who do what they do because they really believe that what they do will make things better. I know very few people that think differently in the industry. Do you? Uh, I haven't met any. I haven't met any absolute cynics, uh, but to a degree, there's a sort of a self-serving aspect to it as well, uh, because sure. these guys are these guys might be building. Yeah, uh, sure. Like, so, I, so I, I get a lot of I get some marketers on the on the show occasionally. Uh, specifically because I think they like to be on podcasts. Okay. And God bless them. They're, they're fine people. And, uh, <clears throat> but the, but what they're doing is they're trying to sell product to people yeah. and there should be some degree of cynicism associated with that, but there is no cynicism associated because that, that's their industry and that's what they're into. And for their own purposes, they're making it, they're working their darndest to make sure that they can sleep soundly at night, uh, doing what they do. Um, right. So the profit, the profit motive drives a sure. lot of the people you run. Yeah, I, I'm different that way for sure. I, I recently wrote a thought piece. So th by the way, this is the first time I've done a podcast. So thank you for <laughs> taking my podcast virginity. Sure, um, sure, sure. Well, I, I like, uh, I like to treat this like a conversation. So that's, that's exactly what we're doing. Yeah. Um, but I, I wrote a thought piece recently on, I have a lot of friends who, who claim and so it's it's a political time. You can't really avoid the elephant in the room right now. Mm -hmm. So I have a lot of friends who say that they're they're fiscally conservative and they're socially liberal. Mm -hmm. How many times do you hear that? Uh, I don't talk politics with a lot of folks, but uh, <laughs> but it's I can imagine it's there. So my my feeling about that is that that's oxymoronic mm -hmm. from the pers perspective that. It's sort of a justification for saying that I believe in some of the platforms that say it's mine, it's mine, it's mine, you know, that's fiscally conservative. It's like conserve money. That's literally what it means. But I'm socially liberal, right? You can be whatever. You can be gay. You can be in, in an interracial relationship. You you can equate, what you know, whatever kind of 
thing you want to social liberalness. But my opinion is, is that we need to move towards, you know, liberals become a dirty word. And to me, it's just not a dirty word. Mm -hmm. We need to be more liberal with knowledge. We need to be more liberal with technology. We need to be more liberal with money. I, I don't think the government is evil. I think the way the government allocates our money is evil. I don't think government is inherently evil. I think that it's a guns and butter thing. Mm -hmm. We allocate too much money to guns and not enough to butter. And I think that's that's an easy, it's easier to say than to do, but I think it's an easy switch to flip if we had the right people doing. And I think the Bernie Sanders movement was kind of a, an example of that. I think that was an example of young people, your audience, saying we want more butter and less guns. Mm -hmm. That makes me hopeful. That makes me hopeful. <laughs> okay. So, so, we're, so we're moving away from uh, from a status quo into more of an insurgent sort of sort of idea around uh, the future, future politics, future media, etc. Yeah, I just don't see how things work if we don't move towards a liberalization and a democratization of all this good stuff that's developing around us. If if it's hoarded by a few, it doesn't do any good for the many. It's pr it's pretty simple. Pretty simple math. I, I, I was saying you and your audience, sure. and, and you and I in particular, are probably the kind of guys that live technology 24 hours a day. And in my case, I can literally say that because I even have a bed that's smart. <laughs> you know, my bed tells me how well I'm sleeping. Sure. So even when I'm, when I, even when I'm sleeping, the technology is, in a literal sense, surrounding me. Mm -hmm. And so I, I wake up in the morning. I'm excited to see what new thing, what new technology will raise its head and say, hey, this could make everything for everyone easier. So last question, and then we can, uh, we can close up your first ever podcast. So the, <laughs> so how can, how can we, uh, or a general person, how can they uh, come to accept technology and be excited about technology on a daily basis in the same way you are? What are some best practices to do that? Because I think that's I think that's an important aspect of this. If you see everything as if you th see everything as destroying uh, societal bonds and Facebook ruining everything, and to a degree, all that's true, absolutely. But what is the solution? What is the solution to what is the solution to getting around driving yourself crazy that way? I, I so I, I I think it's like a lot of things in life. First of all, it's it's moderation, right? So I make a really solid point of unplugging for at least three or four hours a day and spending time doing simple things like being with my dog. I also volunteer at the anti-cruelty society and place puppies three nights a week mm -hmm. where I, I don't take my cell phone. I, I unplug from the world. And so I, I, I think, we, I mean, this is just my perspective. We, we, so anecdotally, this doesn't necessarily spread to anyone, but I think we all have to find the, the technological things that are interesting to us and use them during our, and I'm using air quotes, our work day, because that makes work more fun. And then during our free time, we need to unplug a little bit. I think we're too plugged in, mm -hmm. way too plugged in. So I, I try, you know, for me, it's really deliberate. Like I used to check my email instantly. Now I only check it twice a day. Oh, wow. I make a point of it. You know, I get up in the morning, I check my email. And before I go to bed, I check my email. And other than that, during the day, I figure if it's really urgent, somebody will just literally call me. <laughs> okay. So you're, uh, so you're, so you're offering some, uh, some life hacks for, to, yeah. to move into the future. Yeah. I, 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 I you know, 
I, so I'm a little bit older than you. And, you know, when I grew up, there certainly were no cell phones. And my parents didn't sure. care if I went to the park. And when I say the park, I could mean the the public park that was half a block from my house. Or I mean Wrigley Field. Okay. I could get on the Chicago public transportation and get on the L and ride to Wrigley Field, which is a good 12 miles from where I grew up. And my parents didn't know if I did that. And I came home and that was just, you know, I was 12 or 10. That doesn't exist today. And and I don't think the world is more dangerous. I just think we're more afraid because we're so plugged in. Sure. You don't let your kids do that. We, we let the kids, uh... We let the kids walk to school by themselves, so that's a couple blocks down. So about four blocks away, uh, and that makes what, you, and that and that makes you a progressive. Exactly, exactly. Would we let them go? Would we let them ride into this down to Times Square to to hang out with the naked cowboys? Probably not. But uh, right, right. But, but I used to, but I used to do that when I was a kid, a kid your kid's age. Sure. So you know, and I, again, I don't think the world is inherently more dangerous. I think we're just so plugged into the to the data that as parents it makes us much more careful. Right. So I don't know, you know, I don't know if that leaves your audience with anything useful, but I, I think, I, just... I think it, I think it offers a, a different perspective. I think one of the, one of the things that a lot of people try to do when they're asked this question is how are we going to cope with the future? And I think the real question that you've answered is how do we cope with now? How do we cope with what we're facing? Cause we're already in the future. We're already moving forward oh, really, well, really that's quickly. True. Well, we always are. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so, so I, I would say, you know, a find a piece of technology that's really fun for you and use it for your work. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the best thing. And, and B, when you're not in work mode, work, meaning you're getting paid for it, try to unplug from it a little bit so that you can smell the roses and enjoy your family and, you know, your kids, whatever's in, your dog, whatever's important to you. That's, that's kind of my that's how I get up every day. Perfect. Positive. <laughs> right. And and I have to I have to give a shout out because we know each other through my friends at Picasso. So mm-hmm. if you don't mind, I give them a shit. This is my shameless plug for all my right, friends at Picasso. I think your audience should all go to the uh, Apple App Store and download Picasso P I K A Z O and try it. It's a great fun app. All right. And where can people find some of your writing and and what you're doing online? Uh, LinkedIn. Um, I have my own website at kenmagis.com, which is sort of self-serving, but I try to keep it light and friendly and funny. Mm-hmm. And um, I, have a, I, I, I put stuff on Facebook like everyone else, but it tends to be more political than anything. So my views on politics, I should be pretty clear based on this conversation. <laughs> you won't learn anything new about me there. And, uh, you know, LinkedIn, I've probably authored 40 or so short essays on technology in the future, things that you and I are talking about. So if anyone wants to read my babbling, it's it's, just go to my LinkedIn profile and it's all there. All right. Super. So Ken Magus, he's a inventor, he's a uh, CTO, uh, and he's been hanging out on technology longer than the vast majority of us. And I'm really proud to have you on. Thank you for joining us on Technotopia. Oh, I appreciate the opportunity to be on, and uh, I, I love your writing, and I love your projects, and I follow you, and I wish you nothing but the best. All right, super. Uh, thanks for listening. We will see you next week. Okay, John, thanks. Thanks.